Blog Talk Radio. It's your girl, Cy Brown, and welcome to the Cy Brown Morning Show. Today is the first day of October, and it's very—it's getting very nippy outside. I have on a turtleneck sweater, uh, and you all know I hate the cold weather. <laughs> but it's a great day here in New York. It's nice and sunny, so I'm just so glad to come before you. I had an awesome, awesome weekend. What did I do this weekend? <laughs> I hung out at an arts and crafts fair in Hoboken, so I put some of those pictures up. And for those of you who are Facebook friends with me, um, I put a video up this morning. Please be mindful. Facebook has changed its privacy settings yet once again. So check out the video um, because I think it's important that you understand how your information and stuff is being used. But I have a great show. We have a great show planned for you today. I've got Jure on the line with me. I'm going to bring him in in a second, talking about what's going on in black life, black culture, in the state of Connecticut. I don't know if you follow. I can tell you that um, the report, a report just came out of the richest states in this country. I live in New Jersey, and except for Alaska, Jersey is number two behind Maryland. In this whole northeast region, there's a lot of wealth in just household income. I think in New Jersey, the average, the median household income is $68,000. And we're ahead of New York because although New York City is a very prosperous area, when you start to go upstate and west, you know, in the state of New York, it's very rural, a lot of farming. So that drives down the average median, you know, the household income. But Connecticut is another one of those really wealthy states. And so just this whole northeast. But blacks, unfortunately, um, don't always get to be included because we don't fit that. And so we're going to talk about some of the income and economic disparities between black people and other races within this whole Northeast region, as well as politics and a whole host of other issues, including education and things like that. His website is blackct.us. Again, www.blackct.us. So please check it out. Please support his blog. Jure, are you there? I am here. And actually, I am a she, believe it or not. I just have a very deep voice. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Talk about it. No problem. Yeah, it happens all the time. We talk behind the scenes, too, so now I really feel like, wonk, wonk, didn't even know. Uh, But anyway, thank you so much, and thank you for being such a good spirit about it. Uh, And thank you for joining me on the Cyber Morning Show today. We have. Thanks for having me. We have so much to talk about. I want to get into, well, I will share this with my listeners. On Monday mornings around 7 o'clock in the morning, I receive an email from blackct.us just about a lot of different issues, and I love it. And that's how I reached out and was like, can you, you know, come on to the show? Can you share with our listeners why you started that, that, that weekly email and what we can learn from it? The reason why I started it was to disseminate information to black families in the state of Connecticut, and it actually started very local. I live in Stamford, Connecticut, which is about 35 miles from Manhattan. 
And a lot of times information is out there, but black people tend not to receive it because there was not a vehicle that was uh, providing the information to them. So the website started as very targeted towards black families. So um started the email blast, and my website is not that great. As a matter of fact, it's not great at all, but the email blasts are what makes uh, Black CT worth its weight in gold. So every Monday morning at 7 a.m., I provide information geared towards black families. So it's information on scholarships, information on jobs, information on activities that are going on in the state of Connecticut, and then also just information that I like to share with my uh, readers to keep them up to date as to what's going on locally and also nationally. So why did you think, you know, a lot of people have said, now that President Obama is our president, black people got what they wanted, why do you feel it was important to still continue to reach out just to blacks per se, as opposed to, hey, this is what's going on in Connecticut? Well, the problem with that is, you know, people feeling that once we got a black president that there was equality in the United States is not true, and everyone's aware of that. Mm. Uh, I think for a number of people it actually got worse because, uh, for instance, uh, there was a woman here when her candidate was beat out by President Obama to become the Democratic presidential nominee when he beat out Hillary Clinton. You know, there was a statement in the newspaper here in Stanford saying that it proved that minorities were ahead of women as far as accomplishments. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, however, if you were to look at state contracting, I'm a small business owner, um, and if you look at state contracting, less than 2% of all state contracts go to minorities, um, and we represent 34% of the state. However, uh, white women, they represent 98% of the set-aside that's provided. So when you look at, you know, economics, we have a very long way to go. And as you know, in one term, one president cannot right all the wrongs that are here in the state of Connecticut nor in the nation. Well, I, I think you, you hit on some very important important points, just even about the minority set-asides. You know, so many Republicans, and I, I'm, I didn't want to take the conversation political so early in the conversation, but I have to, uh, Newt Gingrich being one of them, and you can go to factchecker.org or just Google it yourself and you will see before I say anything on the air, I have always done my research, has gone on record saying that there's no need anymore for set-aside programs and things like that for the reasons that you just stated, that we have President Obama, that we that we if we can become the president, then there's no need. But we've got socioeconomic ills that plague our people that go back many, many years, and people don't understand or they forget or we have short memories. I don't know what it is. We we just got the right to vote in 1960, what was it, 1964, I think it was, the Voter Rights Act. So if we have been systematically shut out of educational opportunities, access to, to good schools, through system, through laws and things that are already in place, how can we remedy things that are generations, the ills that are generations deep in really two years because Obama's had to take probably at least six months to get himself acclimated to the position, try to get work done in probably a year and a half, and then it was time to run for president all over again. So I think it's a little disingenuous for people to think, well, Obama's the president, black people are good. It's, I don't I don't think that's the case. And do, do you agree with that? 
It's absolutely not the case. And, you know, and it's like I don't want to be unfair to white women because in Connecticut we have an even bigger problem because there's fraud in the system. And then when we talk about set-asides, you know, a lot of people want to focus on welfare. They want to uh, focus on food stamps. But that's how people get ahead. These programs, these uh, programs, whether they're to the wealthy folks or they're to the poor people, the ideal situation is you take the assistance, it gets you to a point to yourself sufficient, and you graduate out of whatever program it is. And right. so what you find is people get stuck. And like in the state of Connecticut, when you talk about set-asides, there's a number of white male-owned companies that have benefited from these set-asides and that are now $60 million companies. But what they do is they set up fraudulent companies yep. under their wives' names <laughs> or the daughter's name or the girlfriend's name, what have you. And while they have like a $60 million company, they're still competing in small companies like mine for a little $2,000 bid. Piece of business, right? That could yeah, really so. that could really change the trajectory of how we run our companies. It can add an infusion of cash. Exactly. Really so now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens now? They had the opportunities of that particular set aside. They've grown their business. They're wealthy, but now they're blocking other people from becoming like them. So right. you know, when we talk about benefits and set asides and welfare, et cetera, you know, the ideal situation is people receive assistance and then. They grow out of it, and they make it available for others to follow them to the path to success. I th- is it is it really about self preservation? They want to hold out everything for themselves, you know, and just you know, this is my this is my I, I use this all the time. This is my sandbox, and I don't want you to play in it. And I think that's what's happened right now. I think I know just by watching words, deeds, and actions that that's what that's what the Republicans and largely white male. Um, population is doing right now via the Republican Party. I was at an event Saturday at Rutgers University, and it was a conference for Latina women. And let me tell you this, the Latina women that are making strides in this country would knock your socks off. These women are so organized. They are so connected. They are working just in unity. And one of the most profound things that one of the women said is until the Republicans understand that this country is getting browner and browner every day, they're never going to win ever again. And it's so true because so many years they were watching us, but there's other uh, nationalities and races included in the browning, so much so that um, Steve Stout wrote a book called The Tanning of America, and that couldn't be more true. And if they... If they just kind of keep looking out for their own, they're going to age out and they're going to die. Well, I I agree with that and I disagree with that. And then I have my own spin on that. You know, I applaud the Hispanics for what they have done. Um, They have forced America to recognize them and to come to them and to provide them with what they ask for. You see it locally in the education systems. You see it nationally in campaigns. However, you don't see the same thing for black folks, and I have a number of theories on that. And, um, you know, one of them is we as a people don't do a good job of grooming the next generations. Like if you were to go and you look at local campaigns, you look at national campaigns, very few of them have young people that are grooming, being groomed to be the next leaders of the U.S., 
in also local cities, towns, and states. Right. So we've done a really poor job of that, and our excuse has been, well, back in the day, civil rights, and our young people can't relate to that because to them that's ancient history. Yeah. And so it's like we're going to have to take a stance. Also, if you look in education, you will find that there's a number of programs for Hispanic students. Like, for instance, in my town of Stanford, you will find that Hispanics, males and also black males at the same level as far as education, as far as reading skills, writing skills, mathematical skills, et cetera. And you have to, and then everybody's like, well, see, that's why we need more money. However, there's always an influx of new Hispanic people into the city of Stanford. So how can a group that's been here for years be at the same level of people who are recent immigrants? Right. So, you know, there needs to be a push, and we need to do more diligence around making sure that our young people are provided with the resources needed, you know, because if Hispanics are receiving success, then we need to figure out how they're doing it, get on their coattails, and make sure that we're having the same success in our communities. It's You know, I do agree about the whole leadership component. Um, I think, you know, I know I wanted to go into politics. I, I made no mistake about it. When I got out of college, I told my husband I'm committed to serving people. I grew up a, a, a way in which I felt really helps me understand the plight of those who are disenfranchised. And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> I was in my early 20s. He was, you know, absolutely not. They're going to be in our business. They can come kill us. They can, you know, just all of these things. And, you know, you trust your mate. You trust your spouse. I was like, you know what? You're right. I'll just go into business. And I can't say I totally regret it because he made some very valid points. But I think systematically black people have this perception of politics and politicians that prevents young leaders from even being willing to make that self-sacrifice. You know, in my instance, I had to check with my husband because I'm already married, and you know you can't be in politics when your spouse is, you know, someplace else. They really should be engaged as well. But when you really look at um, the political landscape, we don't feel because of the information passed on by our by generations prior and our elders that it's really that important to be in, in leadership and to be in politics. And I think what's really disheartening for me is that you see all these sororities, all these fraternities, black sororities and fraternities that have these cotillions and these balls and things like that, but where are these people actually in the neighborhoods um, raising leaders and raising politicians? And I will tell you this, the event that I attended Saturday had a whole track, you know, for those who are familiar with conferences, they had, you know, an entrepreneur's track, um, you know, an educational track, and they had a political track. And one of the morning sessions was how to start and manage an effective campaign. Then the afternoon session of that same political track was how to um, move your campaign forward through social media. And then the last track, you know, so they the last class was um, about fundraising. So they had a whole track for this Latina conference in New Jersey on Saturday of how to be a politician. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you bring it up because that's a movement that we've actually started here in Fairfield County, oh, nice. Connecticut. So I live in Stanford. Like in Fairfield County, there are four major cities, Stanford being one, Norwalk, Bridgeport, which is the largest city in the state of Connecticut, and uh-huh. also Danbury. And so what we've done, we created a strategy team. And so it includes 
um, all of the Greek letter organizations, the right. NAACP, the Urban League, the 100 Black Men, the Lynx, et cetera. So really trying to bring us together because every every historically black organization nationally has a huge initiative for Get Out the Vote. So what we're doing is we're pulling our resources, we're getting volunteers, and we're actually going to destination locations to register people to vote. And our focus are young people, people under the age of 30, to make sure that they're registered, but more importantly, that they're educated, they know who the candidates are, they know what the platforms are, et cetera. And also for them to start asking questions of the candidate. You know, we have to set up our own expectations. So um, it's great because also um, in this area, the Hispanics want to join us on this. So, you know, right. it's great when black and brown people come together with common goals to get things done. So you're hitting it on the head. And, by the way, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta. And, uh, you know, that there are initiatives, but I think that everybody needs to up their game. Well, you know, speaking of what you just said, too, listen to this. How about this? How is it that we've got, um, you know, the 100 black men, the links, and, and, and then the sororities and fraternities and the, the letter organizations and things like that? Is it that they're fragmented, or is it that they're working on their own initiatives that they don't work together? And I'm asking this out of just pure innocence. I don't know. I, I am not a member of any um, sorority, and my husband is not a member of a fraternity, so I don't know the inner workings or how – certain um, humanitarian or philanthropic causes are chosen, but just understanding the culture of our people, that we are black people, is it that they're working on their own initiatives through their own organization, or why is it to people like me who are on the outside seem like there's a disconnect between all of us getting together? You know, together? There, 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 there is a disconnect. I, I think that we all get kind of stuck in what we're doing and we don't try to reach out. And I think that it just takes a few people talking to bring people together. Um, when I initially stated, hey, we need to bring all of the uh, historically black organizations together to do voter outreach, I was told it would never happen. You know, wow. and this was back in August, and they're saying it could never happen. I was like, we have three months to do this. And when I reached out to every single organization, it was like, yes, we, we want to do this. It's important. Let's get together. And there has not been one organization that has said no. Um, we have awesome. a strategy team of five representing five different organizations, awesome. and, and we're getting it done. And so awesome. what I'm hoping is that we continue this, because if you were to look at the, the initiatives, the, the main goals, you know, what they're trying to do in the community, it's the same for all of them, and it's the same target group. So if we pulled our resources, you know, you know, we have a lot of people that are from the civil rights. You know, we could get back to when black people communicated. But then also right. we have to remember that we now live in a global society. Oh, and um, it's going to look that. a little bit different than it did back in 1960s. That is one of the things that they mentioned on Saturday. And I hate to keep going back to this event that happened on Saturday, but so many points, there's so many parallels. One of the things that they said, um, one of the panelists said at this conference um, was that we live in a global society. So how is it that, you know, in the United States, we're not even mastering English, needless to say, other languages, when we now have to compete on a global level for jobs, for opportunities? And I, and I don't want us to look at it through just a micro um, lens, what's in our zip code, what's in our area code, and I say that all the time, we really have to look at whatever we do as a person, as a people, as an organization, the starting place has to be on a national level. 
because right. the world we the world in which we live is now flat. <laughs> there is no, you know, with cell phones, I have two different time zones on my phone right now. So that way when I speak with other people, I understand, okay, wait, what time is it? I can look right on my phone. Do you think that we're missing the boat because we're not really truly thinking on a global level? We're still trying to deal with our own issues right here at home? Right. I, I, I got I got two two things to share with you. You know, sure. one, it's like I, I've stated this before, and I, I got in trouble in the black community. I told the people in my community that it was child abuse if black children are not learning another language, and those languages should more than likely be Spanish and or Arabic. Ooh, because I those are the that. two those are the two growth uh, populations that we have, and those are the people that we're going to be encountering as the world becomes smaller. That's number one. And then number two, you know, the way that I make my money, I own a company called Printabilities, which is a marketing company specializing mm-hmm. in anything printer and embroidered. So you do a lot of promotional products, you do apparel, mm-hmm. signs, you know, you name it. If you can be printed or embroidered, we do it. Oh, awesome. And I, I deal with China every day. And then I also have one of my major customers that are in American Samoa. So American Samoa is seven hours behind me in time, and of course China is twelve hours ahead of me in time. Wow! So I, you know, I, I, you know, but I'm expanding my horizon, and I think that when people really engage upon continuing their education, whether it's formal or informal, it makes them better. And so, you know, we need to do that. And part of it is learning another language and becoming more global. Because when you travel, you get to understand things a whole lot better than if we just stay sedentary in one location. Jeray, you are spot on on so many issues. I hope we're we're almost out of time right now. I hope there's a way that you can um, find time to come back on the Cyber Morning Show because there's so many topics that I would love to discuss with you. Um, you've been an absolutely amazing guest today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you know one thing before we end is that I put out a personal challenge for everyone to register at least 10 new people for this election season. And if they just focus on people under 20, we would get there. So thank you for having me. I'm going to accept that challenge. I'm going to do it. And you can... I don't. I don't want to put their names on my blog, but I am uh-huh. going to. I'm, I'm going to accept your challenge. I'll do it. I'll try to register ten new people because I haven't done enough. You know, my children are now both older than eighteen. They are registered to vote, but right. you know, I looking back, I have not been um, as diligent as I probably could have been. So I'm encouraging all of my readers. Maybe we can have some little checklist, or maybe we'll do a little prize. Let's get really creative with it because I don't want us to continue to be marginalized and dismissed and disregarded as we have been in the past. And, you know, Romney's 47%, which we talked about that ad nauseum on the show, um, just just embodies how dismissive of people of color and those who have been marginalized, how they really feel we are. So please accept that challenge. And your website is um, blackct.us, correct? Right. And if they want to receive my... Uh weekly uh, email blast, they can register on the site. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm just, it's been a pleasure, and I will have you back again soon. Everybody, please visit blackct.us when you can. I'll put the links up on my blog and up on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash cyber morning show. Always remember that we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow morning at 11. Peace.